Live Creative Now, episode 122. Welcome to Live Creative Now with Melissa Dinwiddie, a weekly podcast to inspire you to create your art and share your work. Because that's how you will change the world. Hello, I am Melissa Dinwiddie, passion pluralite artist, happiness catalyst, and creativity instigator, and author of The Creative Sandbox Way, which you can find at an Amazon near you, here to address all your questions about living a full-color creative life. Whether you think of yourself as not artistic, not creative, which is a lie, or you think of yourself as an artist of any kind, or anything in between, no matter how you define yourself, feeding your creative hungers makes you feel more alive. It's how you change your life, and it's how you change the world, because that is how it works. Change your life, and the world changes. So here we are in the middle of August, and before we get started with today's episode, it's four weeks. Until Create an Incubate Retreat, which starts September 13th. <sighs> I am so excited. In four weeks, I am going to be in a beautiful, serene setting with my own workspace, with lots of light, with seven or eight other kindred spirits maybe nine, if you join us, each of us at our own workspace in the same room, working on our own projects in companionable silence, everybody working on their own creative projects, which creates this amazing buzz of energy in the room. We will have just finished a delicious meal and we will have just finished a creative catalyzing session which is what I run in the mornings after breakfast, where we laugh like crazy and get out of our heads and into our bodies and disperse the gremlins. So we can create without the gremlins interfering. And we all have smiles on our faces. And all we can hear in the room is the sounds of creativity paintbrushes swishing in water jars and pencils scratching on paper and fingers tapping on keyboards, the sounds of creativity. And because our incubator, the room where we create together, is set to silence, to creative silence, so everyone can focus on our creative work, you don't have to worry about being distracted by that tempting conversation because those tempting conversations happen outside of our incubator in between at meals and anytime you want to step outside to go on a walk or whatever, that's when those lovely, delicious, tempting conversations can happen. But inside our incubator, it's that group creativity, energy, just buzzing. It's amazing. And you're invited. If you'd like to join us, there's still space. Just head on over to createandincubate.com. That's createandincubate.com. 
And I look forward to seeing you in just four weeks. Woohoo! And now on with today's episode. Just over a month ago, a fellow artist named Ellie Trier invited me to participate in a community project that she was calling Naked Money. <laughs> Sounds pretty, pretty interesting, huh? Most of us are pretty tight-lipped about money. <laughs> and I think, I think there have been studies about this, that we are more likely to talk about our sex lives than the reality of our financial lives. So we're all kind of walking around in the dark when it comes to money. And I think that it might be especially true for those of us in the creative world. And you know, on the internet, we see these images of all these fleshy successes all around us. And if you are a digital entrepreneur, there are all these stories of these six-figure product launches. And of course, you know, there's these, you know, four-minute work weeks. But nobody's really talking about what's going on behind the curtain. Like, what's reality? Nobody knows. Is it all smoke and mirrors? What's reality? So Ellie decided to do this project of looking behind the curtain. And as she wrote in her blog post about this project, and I have a link to that in the show notes at livecreativenow.com slash 122. She wrote, we're doing everyone a disservice, including ourselves, by hiding our money stuff. In particular, the secret side of us, side of it, the shame and the failures and the months where we aren't quite able to make ends meet, but also the practical side of it. So Ellie decided to stop hiding. And she told a, a story on her blog about a launch that really flopped. She got very authentic and very transparent about it. And she got a lot of really uh, grateful feedback for that. And she decided to do this project. And she invited a handful of her artist friends to do the same for this project, the Naked Money Project. And there's a link in the show notes at livecreativenow.com slash 122, where you can sign up for the for the Naked Money Project, which is still running throughout the rest of the month, every day you will get an essay or an audio or a video from a different creative on the subject of art and money, art and commerce. And honestly, I had to think a little bit about whether to participate in the project at all, and also whether to share my contribution here on the podcast and on my blog, because my business is not about helping people make money from their art. And for that, I send people to my friend Corey Huff over at The Abundant Artist. And I have a link to that over in the show notes at livecreativenow.com slash 122. Uh, 
And it the reason <laughs> the reason that I was hesitant, I had to think a little bit is whether to share it here on the podcast and over on the blog is because there's a lot of confusion in my audience about this because my very first product online was was actually helping people make money from their art. It was a product called the Thriving Artist Project. And so that's how I first kind of got known. And then I actually teamed up with Corey Huff at The Abundant Artist, and we uh, were business partners. And we created a, a course and a community called artempowers.me that was very much about helping artists make money from their art. But I realized after a while that that is not, not only is that not my genius zone, it's not what interests me. It's, so it's not what I do anymore. And I've worked really hard to distance myself from that label as an art marketing person. And so I don't want to muddy the waters. But that said, another piece of the truth is that having a healthy financial life, a life in which there's no shame around your relationship between art and commerce, creativity and money, that is a really key piece in living a full color life. And so with that in mind, I decided that it made total sense for me to contribute to Naked Money. And so without further ado, here is my contribution to Ellie Trier's Naked Money The first thing I thought when Ellie invited me to participate in Naked Money is how complicated my relationship to money and commerce is. And I had so many of the thoughts that other participants have voiced. You know, I don't deserve to be part of this because I don't earn my income from my artwork anymore. But it occurred to me that it might be interesting to share with you some of the significant moments on my art and commerce timeline, because the interaction between art and commerce has been really impactful. And I suspect that you might relate and hopefully glean some insights for your own life. So going all the way back... <laughs> all the way back to 1995, when I had my very first artistic sale, my best friend commissioned me to make a piece to give as a, a baby gift to a family that she babysat for who was they were having a new baby. So I charged her $25. I spent 40 hours on this piece. So you can do the math. And I still have the crisp $1 bill that she sent me along with the check. Uh, and she wrote on the $1 bill, Melissa's first artistic sale. And I have to tell you, that was a significant moment. Something shifted internally for me when somebody valued my art enough to pay me for it. So that's moment number one. A couple years later, 1997-ish, I think it was, I had my first 
sale, art sale to a stranger. And something shifted even more when a stranger valued my art enough to pay me for it. I have a vague memory that I think I think it was paid around $200. And I think it was a piece that I didn't even think was any good. But here's the thing. If someone else thinks your work is good enough to want to give you cold, hard cash for it, you can do one of two things. You can either, one, decide that they have horrible taste, or two, you can decide that there must be something of value in that piece. And if you opt for number two, something shifts inside of you. So that's point number two on my timeline. Point number three, about a year after that, I had been doing artworks on commission for a few years at this point. And specifically, I had been doing a few ketubot or Jewish marriage contracts. And I was making a ketubah for an adorable young couple. I hadn't been doing it for a few years. I'd been doing them for, I think my first one was 1996. So this was about 1998. And I found myself (laughs) resenting this couple. They were adorable. And I was resenting them. I was grumpy and grouchy. And I actually thought about quitting my business altogether. And suddenly it occurred to me, I didn't need to quit. I just needed to charge more. (laughs) The problem was that I was just being underpaid. My customers weren't valuing the amount of time and energy I was putting into their pieces. They weren't valuing the work that I was doing for them. But whose fault was that? It wasn't my customer's fault. It was my fault for undercharging them. I was the one setting the prices. So I raised my prices. And over the years, I kept raising my prices. Every time I started to feel a niggling sense of resentment, I used that as a gauge. And I just raised my prices. About a year after that, in 1999, I got divorced from my first husband. And suddenly, instead of just having to pay for my tools and my supplies and my classes and my conferences, my creative work had to pay for all of my living expenses too. Wow. That was a big deal. I had two and a half years of partial spousal support, didn't cover everything, but it tided me over. And the pressure was on my art suddenly had to do a lot of work. And in that two and a half years, actually 2002 was the year when my spousal support ended. And that was the year, uh, nearly killed me. (laughs) But that was the year when I was for the first time supporting myself financially 100% through my own creative efforts commission artwork, selling prints of my work, which I'd started, I uh, developed, started um, creating prints in 2001, uh, made a couple more that year in 2002. And I did a lot of teaching as well. Um, So all from my own creative efforts. 
And I will not lie for you, lie to you, something really did shift for me as a result of supporting myself financially 100% through my own creative efforts. As a society, we value money really highly. So when you can generate money from your creative efforts and really support yourself, um, when you can generate money from your creative efforts, it's easier to value your own creative efforts. I really hate that it is that this is true, but there it is. It's true. Now, on the positive side, because I was forced to, <laughs> I didn't have, you know, a husband to fall back on, husband's income to fall back on. I did manage to grow a modestly successful art business over the next five years from there uh, until it tanked along with the rest of the economy in 2008. And it really tanked. That's another story. On the negative side, the pressure that this put on my art burned me the hell out. And I completely lost track of why I became an artist in the first place. And art became just a job. I completely stopped making art for me. And I remember walking around my tiny little apartment that I lived in after the divorce, saying to myself, this is not what I want my life to look like. And I cannot wait to retire from doing commissions. And I just want to get back to making art for me again. I was really miserable. And ultimately, the burnout is what led me to start my blog, Living a Creative Life, in 2010. And it's what made me so passionate now about helping other people reclaim their own entitlement to creative play. So it led me to, you know, a good place ultimately, but it was really, really, really miserable. So cut to now, 2017, and where, what's the reality of my art plus commerce situation now? Here's the thing. I figured out that for my sanity and happiness, it works best for me in this moment to keep art and commerce almost entirely detached from each other. That is to say, I am very happy to sell my art. Very, very happy to sell my art. I'm delighted to sell my art. But I don't put any pressure on my art to bring in money anymore. And I don't put any work into promoting it. And what that means is, I actually don't sell much art anymore. Now, technically, I still have that that art business, that Katuba business. The website, website still exists. There's a link. Um, well, it, it's katubaworks.com. K-E-T-U-B-A-H-W-O-R-K-S.com if you want to see my work. But I don't promote it at all, at all. <laughs> and I get a handful, a very tiny handful of orders every year. Goodness knows how these customers find me. I have no idea. And eventually I will probably either shut it down entirely or perhaps I will look into licensing my intellectual property to another Katuba shop or something. I do have an art shop at shop.melissadinwitty.com, where you can, theoretically, customers could go purchase paintings, original paintings, prints, leggings, and other products. But again, I almost never put any energy into promoting it. So guess what? I almost never sell anything. 
And really, that's okay with me. I mean, I would love to sell more work. I love it when people buy my work. I would love to find new homes for the literally hundreds of paintings in my house. Most of them are small, but still, I literally have hundreds of finished originals in my home. But my energy is elsewhere. I held an artist open studio last May. And the reality was I just, I I was not in the space to promote, to do the promotion that was would have been necessary to sell my work, to get people into the open studio to come and buy my work. And that really clarified for me that I simply do not want to put energy into marketing and selling my art right now. It just does not feel good to me to put my energy there right now. Now that is not to say that it won't ever, it just doesn't right now. So how do I generate revenue? Well, I run a paid online community for women creatives called the Creative Sandbox Community. I have a very small number of one-on-one mentoring clients. I host an annual retreat, my Create and Incubate Retreat, which is coming up on September 13th through 17th in Northern California. I get paid for occasional speaking gigs. I make some money from affiliate marketing. For example, this year I'm teaching on Lifebook and I had some products in another marketer's bundle and then like little bits from Amazon and various other places. I make some money in royalties from the sales of my book, The Creative Sandbox Way. I do the very occasional calligraphy teaching gig and and just like random other places. And the other reality is right now, my husband's full-time job as a technical writer it what is what pays the bulk of our living expenses. What I bring in <laughs> pays for my business. I'm not making a lot of profit. Um, and when my husband got laid off a couple of years ago, the stress was phenomenal. And we both thank our lucky stars daily for his fabulous job and benefits. Because at the moment, that is what is keeping us afloat. But what I am most excited about is actually the new direction that I'm moving in, which is taking the work that I've been doing with creativity and play for the past seven years, and applying it in the corporate and organizational world, helping teams address complex, complex issues using creativity and play. And in a couple of months, I'm taking an advanced training and a methodology called Lego Serious Play that is perfectly aligned with my existing expertise and values. And I am so excited to add this to my toolbox as I launch out in my new career direction. So innovation and problem solving and strategy and team building, all of these things and and more these are the kinds of things that I am going to be positioned to help teams with using play. I'm super excited. So meanwhile, it's really liberating to finally do my art completely unconstrained from whether customers or clients are interested in buying it. And that... (laughs) Part of me feels like, oh my God, all these other uh, artists who are, you know, dying to be full-time professional artists are going to stone me. (laughs) 
Now, when I was uh, first getting started as an artist, getting the validation of people wanting to pay me for my art was hugely important to me. And that is what encouraged me to keep going and to finally screw up the courage to call myself an artist. And now on the other side of the art and commerce equation, my gremlins sometimes tell me that I no longer have the right to call myself an artist at all. But, you know, I just smile and give them a cookie and send them off to get a pedicure. My gremlins love pedicures. Because of course I'm an artist. I make art, whether I sell it or not. So what else would I call myself? And what I am most passionate about personally is getting other people doing their own creative things, whatever they are. And I don't care a whit whether they make want to make money from those creative pursuits. So why should it matter whether I make money from my own creative pursuits? And yet, of course, it still does because we live in a society where money is like a god. So of course it matters whether we like it or not. And that is why projects like Naked Money, thank you, Ellie Trier, are so important. Because if we never talk about money, that little God will have total power over you. But when we bring our stories to the surface, it gives us a chance to have some agency And the one thing that I'm clear about is that I don't want money making my decisions about my relationship to my art. I want my love for my art to make my decisions, not money. So for now, that's why I don't actively market my art. Now that may change. And if I ever really really want to sell my art, then it's going to have to change because the only way to sell your art is to actively market it. But for now, I'm okay with it how it is. I make my art for love. And I do other things, which I also really enjoy and I'm passionate about for money. That's the arrangement that's working for me right now. And the important thing is to figure out the arrangement that works for you. And now it's time for something cool. This week's something cool is ResistBot. ResistBot is this really cool free service that allows you to fax your senators, your uh, congressperson in the House of Representatives from your phone um, and it will for free send them a fax so you can contact your government officials about uh, an issue that's really important to you from your phone and it will send them a fax for free. It's pretty cool. You just text resist to 50409 or you can go to resistbot.io and I've got a link in the show notes and it will message you back with very simple instructions and ask you a couple of questions. And then you can send a message. It's pretty freaking cool. And there's a FAQ page over on the ResistBot website. Uh, All the info that you need to know has little prompts that you can can, uh, type in 
And um, yeah, send faxes to your government officials. Uh, You can actually even send postal mail as well. Uh, You can find town halls. Anyway, it's super cool. Check it out. Resistbot.io to get more info or just text resist to 50409. Or there's also a way to message the uh, Resistbot robot (laughs) on Facebook. There's a link over in the show notes, livecreativenow.com slash 122. And um, you can check it out there. That's it. So that's it. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for joining me today. As always, if you're getting value out of this podcast, it would be super duper awesome if you would share it with a friend and hop on over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. Those reviews make a huge difference because that is how other people find the show. So if you leave that review, it's not just, you know, stroking my ego, you're actually changing the world because you're helping other people find the show and making a difference in their lives and make a difference in one person's life and you've made a difference in the world. Also, if you'd like to be considered for a listener spotlight to get to have a conversation with me, gets recorded and featured on the podcast, that is how you apply is leave a rating and review, email it to me, along with how listening to the podcast has made a difference in your life. That's how you apply to be considered for the listener spotlight. So head on over to iTunes, leave a rating and review, email me, and maybe we'll get to have a conversation. That is it. Until next time, thanks again for joining me and go get creating. Subscribe at livecreativenow.com.